you have your Bibles tonight, we're looking tonight in the book of Mark chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, the book of Mark chapter number 3. We're going to study about the master's men. We've been studying treasures from the book of Mark and it seemed like we got caught up in chapter 3 and this uh, listing of the disciples. And you may think, well, preacher Darren, it's really not that big a deal. But I want to say to you that it really is that big a deal because this list of disciples is found in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark. It's Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, and Acts 1. They're listed four different times in the Gospels. We're going to read tonight in Mark 3 and verse number 13. And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. And he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew, and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into an house. Tonight we want to look at the 11th disciple listed in the book of Mark. I think in some other gospels he may be listed 10th, but he's always part of the fourth, the third group of four disciples. His name is Simon the Canaanite. And I want to preach on this thought tonight, God being our helper, it's Simon the zealous disciple. Now when you look through the word of God, you're not going to find where Simon asked a question. You're not going to find where Simon was called to be a disciple. You're not going to find where Simon had an announcement or gave a witness or preached a message. So really my, my text is limited to what I've just read to you and the maps and the table of content in the word of God. That's really all I have to preach from tonight. But I think about Simon and the zealous disciple that he was I think there's a thought there that you and I need to get a hold of tonight. That Jesus calls common, everyday, ordinary, plain men that are sinful. Jesus calls them, saves them, transforms their lives. And so in England, there's a paper factory. And they make some of the most fine stationery in the entire world. And there was a man that was touring their factory. And he asked, how do you make this paper in the cream color? And so the tour guide said, that's easy, I'll take you. They went to a back room, and inside that back room, he noticed these huge piles of dirty rags. And to his astonishment and his amazement, the tour guide said, we take this dirty old rags, we grind them up and put them in and we turn them into cream colored paper, the finest in the world. The tour guide said, the more coarse the rags, the more fine the stationery. Two weeks later, he received a gift from the factory that he had toured and it was the, a package of the finest cream colored stationery in the world and on the front page it was written to this person signed from the factory these words dirty rags 
transformed. And may I say today, that's all I am, is dirty rags transformed. What is true for that stationary is even more true for discipleship. Christ calls men and women who are defiled and he transforms them by his marvelous grace into something that is beautiful. Oftentimes, the more coarse the sinner, the more precious the saint turns out to be. When Jesus calls his disciples all through scripture as he works in people's lives, watch him as he transforms them. He called them unto himself that he might be the new life in them. Amen. He tells them, I want you to forsake your old life. I'm going to give you a new life. He says, I'm going to change your mind and I'm going to cause you to believe things that are unbelievable and I'm going to cause you to think things that are unthinkable. He changes their heart. He changes what they used to love and what they like. He changes their mouth, what they say and how they say it. He changes their eyes, how they see things and what they look at. Amen. He changes their feet, where they go and the course and the direction that they may take. What Jesus does in transforming our lives is so much greater than what is done by that paper factory in taking those old dirty rags and grinding them up. When I think about Simon the zealot, Simon the zealous disciple, I see three things and I'm done. Number one, I see his sinful past. The obvious thing about Simon in this text is a descriptive title that is placed just behind his name. The scripture says, Simon the Canaanite. Amen. Now the word Canaanite here is a Greek word that is Canaanias. And that means that is zealot. It is not a geographical location like we like to believe. Some people say, well, he's from Canaan or he is from Cana. No. If you look at Luke, turn there. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I want to look at verse 15. Luke 6.15, this same list of disciples, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes. Well, in Luke he's called Zelotes, he's a zealot. And in Matthew and in Mark, it's the Canaanite. The word Canaanias, it means those that are zealous. Those that are, uh, uh, you got to understand, there are four groups in the Jews. Like today, you might look at our people and say, well, we have Democrats and we have Republicans and we have independents. That's, that's the way we're grouped. Well, you look at the Jews, there are four groups. The first group is the Pharisees. You've heard of them. The second group is the Sadducees. You've heard of them. The third group is the Herodians. You've heard of them. And then there's the Zealots. Now, the Zealots are the most fervent, passionate patriots of Judaism. In fact, they're an extremist, militant people that rally patriot-wise for the nation. You may say, Preacher Darren, that sounds good. Does it, though? A zealot is someone who has intense fervor for their convictions. And they believe in their ideology. They believe 
in their cause. For, for, for Simon the Zealot, Rome came in and he hated them. Well, preacher Darren, I would hate to be oppressed and afflicted as well. He rebelled against Rome so much with his terrorist group that they would uh, take daggers, run through leaders and those that were officials in the Roman government. Um, they did everything they could to resist Rome. They plotted, attacked, and assassinated and committed random acts of violence on every hand. I don't know about you, but I don't like the random acts of violence that we see in our land. You never see Jesus leading his people in random acts of violence. Now, you're holding your place here. I'm going to read about one of these such instances in Acts chapter number 5, something that we may have overlooked when we read through our Bibles. In Acts chapter 5, we have a teacher by the name of Gamaliel. He is standing up, telling, giving a witness, giving wise counsel to some situations where men of God were arrested. And he steps in and he says, verse 37, After this man, he's talked about a man named Thutis, who got a bunch of people slain as he led them into attacking Rome. In verse 37 he says, After this man rose up Judas of Galilee, we're in Acts 5, 37, after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing. The taxing. That means there was a Roman census. People had to pay their taxes. The zealots were against paying taxes. They were against Rome at every opportunity. The Bible says that he drew away much people after him. The scripture says he also perished. And all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. So there was an uprising of zealots against the government that was thwarted and put down. Simon, one of Jesus' disciples, I'm trying to tell you, was extremist, terrorist, legalistic. You might say, oh, preacher Darren, he's a conservative. He's a fundamental. I'm telling you, he's an altruist. And in other words, he is one who's going to murder He's going to burn, he's going to plunder, he's going to loot, he's going to sabotage anything he can. In fact, because of this type activity amongst the zealots, Titus in 70 AD came into Jerusalem and wiped out the city because they rejected Jesus. Wiped out the city completely because of the activity of the terrorists that were there. They slaughtered people in not only Jerusalem, but in 985 Galilean towns, according to Josephus. That's history. They said, Preacher, and I'm not interested in that. I'm just telling you, these are outspoken, fierce men. They're against authority, and they're always ready for war. They're fanatics. They're extremists. They're dangerous. And they're hoping and praying for a militant Messiah to come in with power and sweep the world. But when Jesus came, he came in the name of peace. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so think about it now. Simon is a radical, political, extremist preacher. And I don't believe that about him. 
He's Simon the Zealot. Look at Acts chapter 1. Look at Acts chapter 1. We're going to look in verse 13. Towards the end of the verse, here's your list of disciples again. And do you see where it says, And Simon Zelotes. That means the zealot. Matthew, Mark, calls him Canaanite, which means zealot. Means ready for war, always an uprising, always getting extreme about things. Luke and our writer here in the Acts is Luke again, calls him the zealot. Let me just stop and say this. Before Jesus called him away from his sinful life, he was an extreme, wicked sinner. A vile sinner called by the grace of God. Those filthy rags in that back room pale in comparison to the life of Simon Zelotes. Maybe amongst all the disciples, this one man was more transformed than any other. And yet he's at the end of the list. Remember, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. May I just say this tonight about you while we're trying to find fault with Simon Zelotes, Simon the Zealot, that this describes my sinful past. I was at enmity with God. I resisted his authority. He came by and convicted me of my sins. I was a sinner. And you know what I did? I said, no, I'm not. My daddy's a preacher. My mama's a Christian. I've not murdered anybody. I argued with God. I resisted his authority. You may say, preacher, Darren, I did not. I guarantee you did too. The first time he spoke to you, you probably did not run down and bend and bow your knee. I would suppose that you probably were much like Simon the Zealot and you resisted the authority of heaven. And in fact, tonight, if you're not careful, you'll do the same thing. When the preacher preaches and an invitation is given on a Sunday morning, or maybe if it's even given tonight, you may stand there and say, oh, I'm not, and you feel led of God to go. You feel, maybe there's been a time you feel led of God to give a witness or a testimony, and you did not. You were resisting the authority of heaven. You were a zealot for the flesh. Preacher Darren, you're reaching with this message. I'm just saying that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of Almighty God. And in your past, I probably would dare to say that you were zealous or a zealot about your cause. The havoc of sin, drinking, you'd have fought somebody to get another drink. The drugs, the foul music, the cursing, the dirty jokes, the good times with your buddies were in opposition with God. Some of you are caught up in the business world. You're so worldly minded. You're of no heavenly good. It's all about making the dollar. Okay to miss church to make the dollar, but I would never miss work to go to church. Hello? Some of us are filled with our religion. 
We're pointing out everybody else's faults like Simon the Zealot's faults, but never stopping to realize our own faults. Do you know when I point the finger at you, I have three others pointing back at me. Amen? I'm just saying you and I need to remember who we are and who we were. Do you remember that it was by the grace of God that he came and saved your sin-sick soul and began to transform your life, change your mind, change your heart, change your eyes, change your feet, change your mouth, change your ears. Honey, he's in the changing business tonight, amen. Simon Zelotes had a sinful past. Number two, I want us to think about his supernatural pardon. Preacher Darren, what do you mean? If any of these disciples were, here's my word, radically transformed, it was the radical, Simon the Zealot. This man, think about what he's done. This man went from trying to overthrow the authority of Rome to coming under the authority of Jesus Christ. I mean, listen, it is amazing what I see. I, I see young men at home that, that, that get mad at their mom and daddy because mom and daddy says, clean up your room. You get mad about it. And then you say, you're going to go in the Marine Corps. Are you going to go in the United States Army? And you can't even abide by your mama's rules and won't pick up your underwear in the corner and you're going to go be under the authority of the United States Marine Corps? Go ahead. I'm sure that it'll be much easier in the Marine Corps than it will be in your militant mother's household. What are you thinking, sir? I'm just telling you, Sometimes we don't think plainly about what we're getting ourselves into. This man, Simon the Zealot, went from covert operations of espionage to openly confessing the salvation and the peace of Jesus Christ to the world. Think of the change that Jesus has made in your life from what you were Think about what you were. The sinner, you don't even want to think about it. You don't even want to talk about it. You think about who you were and to what he's done after he saved you and what you are becoming. I did not say what you are now because what you are now is not what you're going to be. Amen. It's what you are becoming. The change, the transformation is the process of discipleship it is an immediate change the minute I called on him he saved me it was an immediate change yet there's been a gradual change gets a little quieter when I say that yet it's been a necessary change yet it's been a lifelong change yet it's been a supernatural change it's a change that I could not do myself. Only Jesus could do what's been done. Only Jesus could make the changes in my life that he has done. And yet, it is an eternal change. Of this group of disciples, Simon the Zealot is the last one you would think would be serving the Lord. 
He's the last one you would think would be following the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is, 11th on our list. He is less visible. He is less prominent than the other disciples, and yet he is no less important. He is the second Simon on the list of disciples. The first one is Simon Peter. There are, I found nine Simons in my study in the New Testament. Nine Simons, a very common name this young man was named. And here he is. He easily blends in with the crowd that he may go covertly. Now he doesn't. This man that was so outspoken, this man who was so willing to resist authority, not one word is recorded that he spoke. I know he did. I believe with all my heart there were times that amongst this last group of four men, Judas being the last one, them being sent out two by two, more times than not, Thaddeus, the humble disciple, went out with Judas as a tag team partner in the ministry. You want to talk about having somebody difficult to deal with? Some of you, you have difficult bosses. You have difficult employees. He had difficult Judas to deal with every day. And then there's the other times that Simon the Zealot may have been sent out with Judas Iscariot. Simon the Zealot would just as soon chopped his head off. He was very militant about the way he did things. But I'm telling you, God called him for a reason, and he held old Judas Iscariot in check the times they went out witnessing together. I believe that Simon the Zealot represents many of us today. Preacher Darren, how's that true? Simon the Zealot, after he got saved, he was faithful in serving God. Yet we never see that he ever taught a class. Some of you, you've not taught a class. Some of you, you're not singing solos. Some of you, you're not playing instruments. Some of you, you're, you're not standing up and doing... But yet, Simon was there, faithful, an important, supportive role within the body of those disciples as a group. And yet, here you are. God has saved you from your sinful past. And you may feel like that, Preacher dear, and I'm just a nobody. I, I can pray, but I can't really do a whole lot of everything else. Honey, you can be here. You can be in a supportive place, in a supportive role. And that's what Simon the Zealot was. The Lord gave him supernatural pardon, and he was in a supportive position in his life amongst the disciples to help hold that group together. May I say this? You may not be, world, you may not be recognized, earthly speaking, but the Lord sees, the Lord knows, the Lord remembers, and one day the Lord will reward you for your faithfulness. You think about some people, can you come in in a wheelchair? Don't feel like coming, but come to the house of God anyway because they love the house of God. You don't think there'll be a reward for that one day? May not be up teaching a class, may not be up singing, but faithful to be here. I'm telling you, there's a reward for that, amen, and thank God for it, and I appreciate that. Thirdly, and I'm going to be done, I see his strong passion. Now, the word zeal, it implies that he has passion about his ideology. He has fire. He has fervency. May I say this? When Simon got saved, when he began to follow Christ, his zeal did not stop. Now, wait a minute, Preacher Darren. His zeal, he was fired up. He was militant and an extremist, and I could see how he was opposing and committing acts of violence and terrorism. And 
Now you're telling. But here's the thing about zeal. It's who and how you direct your zeal. Who do you have zeal for? Simon now has dropped his zeal for the world and the things of the world. And now Simon has zeal for the Lord. He has zeal for the things of God. Hey, he used to be out on Friday night going out drinking. He used to have zeal for his party crowd. He used to have zeal to tear the Roman government down. He used to have zeal about politics. But he said all that zeal means nothing. My zeal needs to be sent on the things of God. Amen. So you must redirect your zeal. Don't nobody come to me tonight and tell me that Simon was lukewarm. That he was a cold, clinical disciple. Don't tell me that he's drifting away and don't care. Listen, honey, he's got zeal in his life. And Jesus gave him peace. And Jesus gave him pardon. Thank God for it. You know, Jesus also, he helped to encourage Simon the Zealot's zeal being directed in the right manner. I ran across this today in our study in John chapter 2. I got to think about it. John chapter 2, verse 13. The scripture says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, Make not my father's house an house of merchandise. You want to talk about having zeal? Jesus got filled with zeal. Preacher Darren, you're telling me that he went to the temple? Honey, he went to the temple at the beginning of his ministry, many other times, and at the end of his ministry. When he came in, he wanted to see people worshiping. He wanted to see people reading the word of God and praying. And when he went in, he saw them selling animals for the sacrifice. And he saw money changers sitting there. What they would do is these people would sit there, say, you and I, we have to come with our sacrifice. We've got our, our spotless lamb. We bring it in. And somebody stops and says, oh, no, 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 no. Your sheep will not do. Your animal is not pure enough. He's not been verified and he's not been certified. But we've got some right here that are A number one verified by the high priest himself. And before you can offer sacrifice, you've got to buy one of our sheep. Well, how much is it? Oh, they ain't cheap. They're going to get a profit and they're going to charge you an exorbitant rate for you to come in and worship and offer the sacrifice. Then you've got to go and say, well, we don't take credit cards. We don't have a kiosk over here. 
You're going to have to go into the money changers and you have to change your money into the money we use, the shekels we use at the house of God. Well, how much is that going to cost me? Well, the money changers have an exorbitant exchange rate on that too. They get some money in their pocket. They get a certain percentage of it because they're managing it. And then you'll have enough to come back and buy this sheep that's been house certified so you can worship. You see what these people are doing? They are restricting and prohibiting the people of God from worshiping. They have the market cornered at the temple on who's going to get in, when and how they're going to worship. And when Jesus walked in, that lit his fuse. He was not happy. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. He was filled with righteous indignation. He took, he went and made a scourge. Whatever he could find, he got us. And man, he went off at him, son. And he drove, the Bible says, look at your Bible. He drove them. He had zeal. He drove them away. Bless God, you ain't doing that in here. Get out, get out. Then he took the money changers' money and poured the money out all over the floor and flipped their tables over. Somebody's going to have to clean that up. Clean up on aisle three. I'm telling you, Jesus has filled with zeal for the things of God. And he, don't you know, that Simon, the zealot, watched the whole thing? I kind of like this guy. Man, I signed up for the right position on this one. Look what the Bible says, verse 17. And his, who is it? His disciples, don't tell me they weren't there. His disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Psalm 69, verse 9. Zeal is passion. It is serving God with enthusiasm and excitement stemming from a commitment of love and commitment to God's holiness. Simon at one time in his life was a fire filled with zeal burning out of control. But now Jesus has come into his life and his zeal has been tempered with wisdom. We need zealous people serving God. And how few and far apart people are with zeal. But Jesus stands at the head of the list. Amen. Jesus would have taught Simon the Zealot, Matthew 5, 44. Turn there. I'm almost done. You can breathe. Matthew 5, 44. Simon the Zealot. We've already pointed it out how he hated Rome and how the Lord has transformed his life and how the Lord showed him that zeal can be used for the good. Matthew 5, 44, Jesus said with Simon Zelotes in his hearing, I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them 
which despitefully use you and persecute you. Did y'all read that? Is that in your Bible? What a message. You listen to me for a second, I'm done. You can kick me and repudiate me, and if I'm filled with the Spirit of God as I'm supposed to be, I'm to turn the other cheek. I don't always do that. I've not always been saved either. I still have a flesh. But when you corrupt the Word of God and when you defile the house of God, you are going to answer to a man of God filled with zeal. Every father and every mother in their house should be a man and woman filled with zeal for their household. Every teacher, preacher, and pastor should have zeal for the glory of God. When the glory of God and the Word of God and the Son of God, when they are marginalized, it consumes me with zeal. It lights my fuse. This is a virtue we all need to embrace. This is not a fire burning out of control. I have seen Christians so filled with zeal they became attack dogs to hurt one another. You have to have zeal under control. Fire under control. Speaking the truth in love. With patience. With long suffering. With forbearance. We love someone who's enthusiastic. We love someone who's charged up. We love someone who wants to get things done and they're excited. But we must be careful that zeal is focused and directed in the right place. Far too many of us are lackadaisical. The Lord, I believe, told John to write to the seven churches in Revelations. And John wrote the first one to Ephesus, the last one to Laodicea. And there was a vast difference between those two churches. And the church at Laodicea, he said, I have somewhat against thee. I would that thou wert either hot or cold. You were on fire or you were just cold and clinical, dead. But you're lukewarm. You're kind of just blending in with the crowd. You're neither. I want to turn there. I can't leave it alone. Revelations chapter 3. This is speaking about the church in the end times, which I believe we're seeing it right now tonight. Turn with me, Revelations 3. You've read it, but you may not have paid attention to it as I'm talking about zeal. They're just blending in with their environment. In Revelations 3, verse 19, look what he says to the church in the end times. Are you there? Say amen. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore. Be what? Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You know what the real problem with the church at Laodicea was? They had no zeal. They're just going through the, we're going to get up here, and we're going to sing number 13, and we're going to sing the word, we're going to sing... And then we're going to have a time for the offering. And we're going to have a prayer list. 
We're going to pray. The preacher going to preach three points and a poem. And we're going to go home. And we're dead. I mean, the devil knows what we're doing. He, you, ain't throwing, you ain't fooling nobody. You have got to be prayed up. And you have got to be filled with the Spirit of God and have zeal, fire under control, and come in the house of God and look for Jesus at every opportunity, praise Him and honor Him and glorify His name. We need that in the house of God. And the Lord said in the days of the church of Laodicea, they have no zeal. They think we don't need anything. We are rich when the Lord says you're poor. I mean, it's just a huge problem. Can't leave it alone. The two walking on the Emmaus Road after the resurrection of the Lord. The Lord walked right up with them. They didn't even recognize him. He said, what are y'all talking about? I said, oh, it's been three days since the Lord has died. And, and he said, what are you talking about? He said, are you a stranger here, dude? Don't you know? Haven't you heard? These are horrible days. I'll turn there. Luke 24. Luke 24. Luke 24. In verse 25, the Lord, as he hears their sad story, listen, if a Lord walked up to you and your conversation, it's a sad tale. It's a sad story. It's a sad state of affairs. The preacher said here Sunday morning or night, whichever it was, that you've lived all day long sad, you come into church sad, you sang sad, you listened to preaching sad, you prayed sad, you came to the altar sad, you got up sad, you went home sad. It's just sad. It's just sad. And the Lord walks up on these disciples. They're just sad. He says in verse 25, Oh, fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory at beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Do you know what he did for their sad state of affairs? He preached the word of God to them. When they had no zeal, when they had no enthusiasm, no excitement. You know what he did? He preached to them. He didn't sing to them. He didn't play the local honky-tonk radio station to them. He didn't give them a coupon down to the local steakhouse. He didn't buy them a loaf of bread. Honey, he preached the word of God to them. The Bible says in verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to him. Now just look at me. Can you just see him as he takes bread and breaks it, breaks it and gives it to him? Don't you know they looked at his hand and they saw the wound? And he's alive. They recognized him in the breaking of the bread. They'd seen this miracle before. Verse 32. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened. Boy, there's a good vision sermon. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Listen what they said. 
This group that had been so sad. This group that had gotten, well, I hear two messages colliding again. The love for the Word of God. This group that had been so downtrodden. This group that had come through such bad news and devastation on every hand. When they got in the Word of God, they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us by the way and while He opened to us the Scriptures? That heart burning? Zeal. They got zeal. Passion. They got encouragement. They got help when they got in the Word of God. Amen. May I say tonight, you have been zealous for sports. Go Tigers. Heard nobody cheering. Go Tar Heels. Go Blue Devils. We are zealous for sports. Woo! You're zealous for business. We gotta get that door open. We gotta be on time. We gotta stay late. Gotta make the dollar. What can we plan? What can we do? Let's come up with some ideas. Let's try to get new customers. Honey, why don't you get some new customers at the house of God? Try to figure out what you can do to get them in, amen. You're zealous for your kids. Oh, here's one. You're zealous for your money. Oh, if you have to get money, you'll do whatever you got to do to get it. Man, you'll get excited and passionate. You'll do this and you'll do that. Got to get the money. Got to get the money. Got to get the money. Right? Got to have the money to pay the house payment. Got to have the money to make the car. We're passionate and filled with zeal when it comes to making the money. What about getting that new car? Oh, we got to get a new car. Oh, I'm so excited. That's loving new car smell. Oh, it may not be exactly new. It's news. But I just got to have one. You're excited. Filled with zeal. May I say this tonight and I'm done. May the Lord transform you and may you be as he is. Consumed with zeal for the glory of God. Consumed with zeal for the right things. May your zeal be placed upon the work of God rather than the things of the world. Hmm. May, we all look at me just for a second. I just want to know that you get this. May our old dirty rags be transformed by his marvelous grace into something precious. You're going through a hard time right now. Things you can't explain. The more coarse the problems you go through, the more precious the blessings will be in the long run. In World War II, there was a church, I believe it was in, oh, what's the name of that city? Wittenberg, was it Wittenberg? Strasbourg, Germany, during the war. And, and the church was bombed. They had a statue of Jesus standing out with open hands, and the bomb cut both his hands off the statue. And they went quickly to get someone to put the hands back on him, you know, to, to fix that. Because even though it was during the time of war, they wanted it fixed. And the church got together and said, no, don't fix it. Don't fix it. Why not? Because we're supposed to be his hands. He is transforming our lives to be his hands extended, working through us. 
You stand to your feet. Father, tonight as I bow in your presence, Lord, I want to confess to you that I've, when I was a lost man, a lost young man, I had zeal about wrong things. And then you saved me and began to transform my life. And guess what, Lord? I still have zeal misplaced on things of the world rather than the things of God. And Lord, I realize I'm flesh and it's a hard thing to manage. But Lord, you are working in our lives. And Father, I pray that you would give us zeal for Bethel Church. Zeal in serving the Lord in our community. Zeal in preaching from this pulpit the infallible truths of the Word of God without compromise, not backing up for anyone or anything. God, give us zeal in this church that we would guard and protect this place. It is a place of nourishment. It is a resource that the world could never produce. Lord, would you give us zeal when we sing, zeal when we pray, zeal when we preach, zeal when we serve you, Lord. We need zeal placed on the right person about the right things. Lord, thank you that Simon's zeal, you knew how he was doing, and you didn't take away his zeal. You just redirected his zeal. That's why he's still known as Simon the Zealot because he has zeal for the things of God. God, give us that. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.